Hey climbers, welcome back to Climb by VSC, a weekly show about building and scaling startups in the world of climate innovation. My name is Jacob Poor, general partner of VSC Ventures and co-host of Climb. Every week, I or a member of our VSC team will speak with a pioneer in the climate tech world about emerging technologies and novel ideas that will turn the tide on climate change. We've all heard enough of the doom and gloom. It's time for stories of purpose-driven innovation that lead to sustainable, positive change. As always, I'm so happy that you've decided to join us. Now let's climb. It's my pleasure to welcome Rachel to Climb. Over a 25-year career, Rachel has covered traditional commodities markets, alternative energy, and the major global conferences on emissions and biodiversity. She's also written on a range of investing and personal finance topics. Rachel originated two columns at MarketWatch aimed at helping investors, retirees, and homeowners plan for global warming and a more sustainable future, living with climate change and the upcycler. As she continues to analyze and articulate the pressing climate issues of our time, Rachel's insights have become an indispensable resource for her readers at MarketWatch and beyond. Rachel, how are you? Great, Rick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Let's kick it off by uh, telling us a little bit about your career. How did you get into climate reporting? Yeah, well, as you mentioned, I, I have covered business markets, uh, anything from pork belly futures to lumber futures <laughs> up to, uh, to you know, the advent of ETFs, exchange, exchange traded funds. So um, I really believe in the business of climate change. And by that, I mean, it's real, it's here, it's coming, it's all science based, but the solutions will have to have a, a business background. We need private money. We need public money. We need consumers to care. We need CEOs to care. So it, it's been kind of a natural evolution. And I consider it, you know, the issue of, of, of my lifetime, of my career, and the fact that I can kind of meld decades covering other markets and business and really hone in on this very, very important topic it is, is perfect for me. I, I love it. And I think, you know, as we're recording this, anybody who's living in New York right now uh, clearly sees what's going on. And hopefully, you know, that's obviously where the center of a lot of the financial uh, world is based. And so you would think if any time for there to be action to be spurred, uh, this might be it. Yeah, I agree. And and part of me says, oh, it's a shame that this that it has to get to, you know, something this drastic to maybe kind of prompt people into action. But but let's face it, if 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 we don't have orange, hazy skies and, you know, being sort of coughing, unfortunately, and, and winded, just, you know, walking to the to the corner store, maybe not everybody takes takes notice it 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 needs to really infiltrate uh, a lot of lives sometimes to to move the needle and 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 you're right that the fire situation obviously you're you're talking about the canadian wildfires and how the smoke from that has migrated down into the eastern united states that in itself is strange it's strange that it's early in the in the wildfire season there's a lot of anomalies there's a lot of unique things happening here so i think the message to people is because of climate change, odd things are out of season, longer season, different parts of the country, different parts of North America are going to happen more frequently. So sure, we can maybe write it off as, you know, a freak thing, an anomaly, but it's like, no, no, no. Those freak things are what we have to start to take notice of. Why? Why is it happening? You know, et cetera. So, yeah. Well, that leads really well into my next question. As we've seen these things 
like the forest fires from Canada, become more and more frequent. Have you seen the narrative around climate change evolve in the media over the years as well? Yeah, I have. Um, And and the media often is criticized by sometimes, you know, delegating, uh, relegating uh, climate change to, you know, deep in stories or deep in broadcasts when maybe it should be the lead. Um, But at least it's there. That's a that's a relatively young, relatively new advent of, of just even linking things to climate change. So, for instance, are wild are wildfires new? No. Is is Canada heavily forested in parts of, of the provinces? So one would expect wildfires? Yes. The difference is it's very early in the season. The difference is it's a phenomenon from the west to the east. So you have to start to make connections and coverage that this is climate change related. Drought, longer, hotter summers, uh, you know, lack of policy sometimes on these things can mean that fighting firefighter or fires is, is harder. So I have seen an increase in coverage, um, just that there's mention linking what are natural disasters and naturally occurring, but that the severity of them is different or that the regions included in a natural disaster are different. Those are the bits of mainstream news coverage that, that needs to, to go there when it comes to climate change, and, and, and it is. So as a reporter yourself, what strategies do you employ to ensure your reporting is both accessible and accurate? Because we are talking about things, as you said, this is new areas for reporting. A lot of the issues are complex and it's the ripple effect of, you know, what's happening way over there in the West Coast is hitting us here in the East Coast. And how is that happening? How do you approach this in your uh, journalism? Yeah, that's a great question, Rick. And one of the things that I really try to do is it, it's it's kind of trite, but the the stay in stay in my lane, you know, kind of attitude. Mm. And, and what I mean by that is I I write for a business publication, right? So ultimately, I am talking about the dollars and cents or the investment opportunities around kind around these things, but at its core, it still involves people, right? So you need to talk to investors as if these decisions are going to impact, you know, their life wholesale, because they are. You need to talk to people um, as if they've got sort of a base level of knowledge when it comes to these things. You don't want to talk down to them, but you need to explain things very clearly. I'm not the scientist. I'm the reporter and I'm the business reporter at that. So can I introduce my reading audience and viewing audience to the scientists and help the scientists talk in terms that the investing public is going to understand. A lot of it is just getting the right people in the room. It's obviously not a real room, but you know what I mean? It's there's yeah. there's experts on all these ends. Let's get them talking to each other. We need the scientists. The scientists need the investors. Um, it's my job to 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 allow them to talk to each other. Explain, you know, Madam scientist, explain that a little more clearly, right? Give you know, give us good comparisons. We always talk about emissions and metric tons. How big is a metric ton? I don't know, but when you start to explain that, you know, that level of pollution would be the same as, you know, 2000 cars on the road in a single right. day or something, you know, sort of equating it to bite-sized nuggets that the broader reading public can understand. That that's my job. I take that very seriously. 
Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And, you know, that sort of storytelling is what brings it home, I think, for people who aren't experts in this. Um, how do you ultimately find these as experts or, or how do you determine, OK, this is the type of person I should be talking to for a particular story or on the other side, this is the type of, you know, startup founder or, or VC uh, that I should be talking to for a story? Yeah, I mean, luckily, once you once you get your name out there and start covering these issues, it sort of, you know, uh, notoriety begets more notoriety. Right. And so when you do get a decent list of clips, um, people kind of come and find me and then I need to vet the best. You know, everybody's got a voice and certainly everybody deserves a certain amount of coverage. But, you know, how 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 detailed can they get with what I'm asking? Um, I really do like to talk to people that can kind of take themselves a little bit wider than maybe just the product or just the service and talk mm. about what it does mean to the end consumer or the investor or, you know, what are some global trends or national trends that, that can be impacted here. So people could, that can really put their their names, their expertise, their products in a broader context is super helpful for me. And th those are the folks that I, I do like to talk to. I do like um, digging through scientific papers and finding a little nugget that's very consumer focused um, mm. and then following up with the scientists, perhaps. And sometimes you've got to talk them you know, down from 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 their findings a little bit and, and, and put it in in everyday language. But um there's rich sources for that. And um, what I what I love lately is a, a lot of uh, a lot of public relations communications firms are, are making their people available, even for like sort of blitz video kind of things. By that, I mean, 15 mm. minutes here, 20 minutes here, where you can at least get two, three, four questions in. Maybe it's for a story right away or maybe it's just a kernel of an idea for a future story. Um, I think I just think you know, public relations and marketing and journalists, our, our relationship has has really evolved a lot. And, and it's it's really important around something as potentially as complex as as climate change. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's easy just again, speaking about journalism and the media, you know, you throw up that picture of <clears throat> the orange sky and that's a pretty easy you know, thing to do. Um, I think what's a little bit more difficult is finding success stories on how climate change is being mitigated, right? So do you have any uh, stories about individuals or communities you've come across in your work who are successfully utilizing climate tech to mitigate the impacts of climate change that we're seeing almost on a daily basis now? Yeah, I, I have a ton, too many probably in a, in a lot of ways. But the, 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 the examples that jump to mind are, um, are, are VCs or just other potential leaders who really understand that in order to make the uh, adaptation and, and the mitigation of climate change work, we have to get everybody who's in the economy into this. And there's a lot of environmental injustice out there, meaning you know, when our interstate system was expanding and we just plowed through certain urban neighborhoods to, to, to build the roads and now there's a lot of pollution from those cars and, you know, we just have to rethink this, right? The next, the next chapter, these technological solutions have to fold way more people in. For one thing, they need to be at the, at the table making the policy decisions. And then the technology needs to help these folks. So some of the, my favorite stories are 
the way that this new renewable energy, new electrification revolution is going to bring a heck of a lot more people into the tech workforce. And maybe that's something as simple as uh, taking a little bit of extra certificate training and knowing how to put heat pumps into homes. Maybe it's putting solar panels on roofs. Maybe it's inventing the next, you know, fuel cell that's going to revolutionize, you know, battery storage. It's really revolutionizing our, our economy. And to me, that has to include the people that sat out, the la not by their own volition, the last industrial revolution, right? This is our industrial revolution and it has to fold in a lot more people. So I love, I love the examples of of, of I, I just interviewed someone recently. Um, they're giving folks that do have a, a, a criminal record. They've got a little bit of a record. It might be usually not violent offenders, but people that nonetheless spent some time in jail. How do you get a job now that you're out? You did your time. And it's a solar installation program that gives priority to people that have had those records. So it's great. It's an under-labored uh, section of the economy. We need people to put in solar and these folks need jobs and what a great marriage of, of ideas. Yeah, I love that, that you're you're thinking about these green technologies, but you're also looking at the, the human impact and how those come together. Um, the flip side of that can be claims of greenwashing. Uh, and, you know, where does where is that now? Is that still a concern in the climate tech space? Is it a growing concern uh, in the climate tech space? I think it always it, it still is a concern and, and always should be. The, the, the positive part of that is consumers, investors, um, other stakeholders in some of this development is, is hyper aware now that greenwashing exists, right? So if companies, if uh, innovators are going to try to get away with that, um, good luck. I think, I think the, you know, the, the, the test, the standards are a lot higher nowadays. It also makes more responsible consumers and investors among us because when we say greenwashing, and and I know what you mean, it's 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 a buzzword. Uh, sustainability is a buzzword. Climate fighting climate change is a buzzword. Can you slap a label on your product and <laughs> get a little marketing juice out of it, and it really doesn't mean anything? Um, I think it's making for smarter consumers and investors because we care a little bit more about the source of those products now, right? So it's not just, is this greenwashing? It's it's like, how was this made? Where did they ship this in from? Um, you know, it's, uh, uh, I you know, whatever. I'm, I'm an ex state. I'll pick on Wisconsin because I'm from Illinois. So. <laughs> we can, so Wisconsin still generates a heck of a lot of its electricity by coal. Illinois, by comparison, generates uh, most of its, a lot of its electricity by natural gas. Yes, a fossil fuel, but also nuclear. So an EV on the road in Wisconsin isn't as green technically as an EV on the road in, in Illinois. Well, we have we got to know that we got to find that out. It's not enough just to stop with I've bought an EV. OK, what's the source of, of the electricity for my my EV? So the silver lining of greenwashing, I think, is just in a lot of ways is smarter consumers, smarter investors. Um, but, yeah, let's not relax and think that that greenwashing is is behind us. Let's let's be as is sort of, you know, careful and, uh, you know, let's let's keep our expectations high. Yeah. So you touched on a, a couple of states there, 
Let's pivot for a second. And, and let me ask you, how do you see the role of government and private sectors evolving in supporting the growth and implementation of climate tech? Yeah, well, one needs the other for sure. And so the best example perhaps is uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, Joe B President Biden's big um, climate heavy. There are other spending things in it, but we all sort of shorthand it to the, the climate bill in a lot of ways, right? Incentives in that for people to take the plunge and buy an EV, incentives to add solar, incentives to um, for, for businesses to add more EV charging outside their place of business. Uh, a lot of those are tax rebates. They can be piggybacked on state programs. That's an example of private sector. You know, there's a re GM just announced today they're going to uh, expand a, a battery plant in Texas. These private companies wouldn't necessarily be making all this expansion without knowing that there is some government help. Right. And mm. and the nice thing about the IRA is a lot of that filters right to consumers. So I sort of like that it's potentially changing buying behavior. Right. On the other side, the government has to have private sector take these things and run. Uh, Biden can approve as many charging uh, stations as he wants. But if you don't have, you know, the Starbucks of the world adding charging outside their stores, if you don't have the Googles of the world being one of the largest consumers of renewable energy on the planet, it's not going to work. So Thus, the great position I'm in covering the business of climate change, right? We're talking about a lot of money changing hands here, and and it's just the way it's got to be. It's great. It's changing the world. Well, you know, speaking of, of, of money changing hands, that means that people are building things. So what are yeah. some of the most promising climate technologies you've reported on recently, and why do they stand out to you? Yeah, I, I I put a little, I tried to put a little thought into this um, because I I wanted to think of things both big and small because it all really matters, right? You know, mm. and so when I think big, I think um, carbon capture and storage. I don't know if if your listeners are totally familiar with that, but it, it's a little controversial, and I'll tell you why. Carbon capture and storage, and there's a couple ways you can look at it. There's some inventions out there. Um, that grab carbon emissions, the, 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 the pollution that's warming our atmosphere from the atmosphere. So um, essentially cooling it down because there's less of it and more of our heat can rise and, and escape. Then there's also carbon capture at the point of combustion. So where we grab natural gas out of the process when we're, when we're burning oil. Um, mm. A lot of money's going into this, and guess who's putting money into it? The fossil fuel companies, right? Because the, the better you get at capturing carbon, the more likely you are to still be able to burn natural gas and burn oil. So environmental groups might say, no, 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 we're coming at this from the wrong angle. We need to curb demand for these goods, not, not just allow ourselves to burn more and then and then clean it up at the end. My belief is you have to throw technology at these problems from both ends, right? Yes, we need to curb demand. I find carbon capture, the idea of it, one of the most fascinating technologies out there. For one thing, the captured carbon can be reused as a fuel. So the waste itself can become a new fuel source. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. Plus, we've got all these pipelines, all this established, um, you know, 
um, infrastructure that the fossil fuel companies have run on. Let's use some of that infrastructure, but be cleaner, better, smart about it. So carbon capture is one of my favorite technologies. And then one of the smallest technologies is one of my favorites. And it's based on a 5,000 year old concept. It's it's the chai uh, teacups from India or what used to be India. India itself is not 5,000 years old, but um, it's it's these disposable um, cups, bowls to have ice cream in, to have chai tea in, and you just crush them and return it to the earth. I love it. Mother Nature can teach us so much about how to be better <laughs> stewards of the environment. And, you know, there's big customers for that. Obviously, look look at all the coffee we do walk around and drink in this country. Sure. Um so I love it. It's borrowing from, it's not even new technology. It's rethinking old technology. It was one of my favorite examples. We need to think small and think big when it comes to, to green technology. Yeah. Uh, and kind of aligned with that, as you said, there's there's stuff on, on both ends. Um, what are some areas related to climate change that you feel are not getting enough attention in mainstream media, in mainstream media right now? Yeah, for sure. I think flooding is one of the biggest areas. Um, and I mentioned that because flooding can happen a couple of different ways, right? When those major hurricanes like Ian hit Florida uh, recent, last year in re, you know, recent memory, um, increasingly hurricanes are bringing more and more water inland, right? The, 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 wa the ocean is warmer. Warm water gets sucked up into these storms. The storms last for longer, swirl and swirl and swirl. And by the time they dump all that precipitation, they're huge. So it's zones in this country that weren't necessarily in the line of a hurricane are in line for its flooding. That We have to talk about that. Groundwater mm -hmm. is rising. I just think this country kind of gets a little lazy sometimes when we think about natural disasters and storms. Oh, I'm not on a coast. I'm fine. Or I'm in the north, not the south. All that's going to change. It already is. So yeah. I do think our coverage just need. we don't have to be terribly alarmist, but we need to be a little bit sobering because when we think about it, our homes are our largest investment for most of us, right? A lot mm -hmm. of people, the, the the sort of younger baby boomers are still are, are retiring. I'm uh, Gen X. My, my age group is going to start to retire in about, you know, 10 years, 15 years. Where are we going to retire? We just have to be a lot smarter about uh, flooding being in the line of these more powerful hurricanes, potentially heat, drought. Um, I think we all should have beautiful retirements with a lot of activities. I want to be able to walk and bike ride, bike ride. Let's be smart about where we choose to retire with climate change in mind. Yeah, and, you know, I live down in North Carolina uh, in the Triangle area around Raleigh, but we have friends who live by yeah. the coast. And it's definitely something I think about when we go to visit them, like, is this going to be above water in 10 years? Uh, so I, I hear what you're saying there. Um, let me wrap it up with this. Uh, let's end on, on kind of a high note here. OK, so mm -hmm. given the type of reporting that you do, what gives you optimism about the future? 
Yeah, and I'm going to answer that question, but let me let me give you the tiniest bit of, of preface to it because it is a okay. challenge in what I do. It's sort of the doomsday beat in a lot of ways, right? And people can get really overloaded when it comes to a lot of negative information. And we've done sort of formal and informal surveys of our readership and they women especially and younger people generally, they want action actionable ideas. They want reporting on climate change that not only warns them of the issue, but kind of instantly gives them ways they can fix it, whether that's something personally they can fix or, or is it something, you know, as far as society is concerned or the way they vote. Um, So it has to be a constant reminder on my daily coverage. It's okay to be sobering. That's what this is. This is real stuff, but what can people do about it? So I think that's my segue then into what is my where does my optimism lie? It lies that people actually are saying to us as editors, as writers, give me something to do about this. Don't just tell me what the problem is. Where is the source of the problem? Is it throw more money at it? Is it be active? Is it vote a certain way? Is it invest in the technology? Is it get the VCs at the table? Um, so that's actually encouraging to me. I, I, it's a it's a it's a reminder to me to to write to those people, the doers, write to them, mm. not the naysayers. Right there, and it, that's younger people have to admit it, and it's a relief. I think we should only be happy that the generations coming behind us, and it's not too late for me either. But but my kids and their kids get this. They want to be active in this space, um, and so let's let's let them. You know, I think we need to, to vote a little younger, perhaps, in general. Gotcha. Well, tell you what, how can people uh, find you if they want to read more of, of all of this great reporting that you do? Yeah, thanks. So I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, at uh, Rachel K. Beals on Twitter. Um, our website, marketwatch.com. We're a sister publication to Barron's and the Wall Street Journal. But uh, we're we're fun. We, we take money seriously, too. But we're a little voicier in what we do. We, we're talking to the, re- the retail investors. So we want to kind of democratize markets for, for a lot of people. And, and so I think you'll, people will find a lot of good ideas, uh, not only on climate change, green investing, renewable energy, the energy transition, but just how to really do more with your money. We, we've, we've earned it. We deserve it. We, uh, we got to make our money grow. So marketwatch.com. Fantastic. Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. It was a really great conversation. I enjoyed it very much. Terrific insights from you. Uh, I really appreciate it. I love talking about this, Rick. So thanks so much <laughs> for the chance. Okay, thanks. Well, that's all for this week's episode of Climb by VSC. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Special thanks to Credo for their help in producing and promoting this episode. To visit any part of today's conversation again, you can find the full transcript on vscventures.com. Our thanks to Josue Ramiro for posting these every week. Lastly, if you've listened this far, please leave us a rating on Spotify or review on iTunes. It only takes a few seconds, really helps us out, and as far as I know, it's still carbon neutral. Well, that's all for now. We'll see you all next week on Climb by VSC.